0: Good morning, everybody. Welcome to Epic. Has anybody known someone who said one of those really stupid, famous last words? OK, so maybe you've tried it a couple of times or something. Hopefully, you weren't the ones going, hey, look, berries. And you know. hopefully, you survived that experience. But that stupid video sets up our series that we're starting today called Last Words. And the only connection between that video and our series is they represent things people said before they died. Okay, that's, that's it. There's no other connection, okay? So this, this series that we're starting today, as Tim says, very heavy content, very serious. That's gonna be the funniest part of the message today. So if you like, came hoping to hear some really stupid jokes from me, like, that's about all I got. And then we're gonna be diving into this serious stuff that Jesus is gonna talk to us about today. So Jesus actually spoke seven words before he died on the cross. And we're going to look at four of those words and their meaning for us today. And uh, we're going to build towards Easter. So today's message has got some heavy content. Next week's message has some heavy content. And we're going to work our way towards Easter where Jesus is going to say something to us on Easter that Bible scholars have described as it is beyond the ability of man and angels to describe or understand. So... I'm looking at this in preparation going, how in the world am I going to say anything that we become close to, to the meaning of what Jesus really said in the context of what we'll look at on Easter? So um, please be in prayer for me for that, because this is a major statement that, that Jesus is going to say to us on Easter. So um, let me tell you a few things that are going to happen around Easter, and then we'll dive into the first thing that Jesus said that we're going to look at when he was on the cross. So uh, coming up to Easter, we are going to celebrate communion together, and then we're going to celebrate baptism. So I love our Easter baptisms. We go to the ocean, and it's, it's usually a wonderful experience there. So if you have put your faith and trust in Jesus as your Lord and Savior, but you've not followed that up by being baptized, then I strongly encourage you to do that. This would be a wonderful opportunity for you to do that. Let's say that you were maybe baptized as an infant. Every once in a while I get this question, someone say, hey, I was baptized as an infant, but I didn't really understand what was happening. Should I be baptized again? I think you should. I think the Bible talks about baptism as something that we should do after we make a decision to follow Jesus, when we put our faith and trust in Jesus as our Lord and Savior. So if you have done that, but you haven't been baptized, I strongly encourage you to sign up for that. On your seat should be a little card. That explains how to get signed up for baptism. On one side explains that for adults, and the other side explains that for children and adolescents. So if you have a child and you think, you know, I think my child might understand what salvation means. They might understand what baptism means. They might be ready for this. Then I encourage you to follow through with that little packet. So there's a little packet that we encourage families to get and work through with their kids. And the reason is we do not want anyone, child, teen, or adult being confused when When it comes to baptism, we want them to to fully understand what they're doing in that very special moment. So if that's applicable to you, again, I encourage you to sign up for baptism. Now, uh, the next thing that we're going to do after Easter is we are going to start a series called Your Questions, Biblical Answers. Now, it's based upon the questions that you asked back in January. So in January, we gave you the opportunity to ask any question that you have about God, faith, and the Bible. And we got 184 questions turned in by you guys. So for the next three and a half years, we're going to be going through (laughs) that series trying to answer these questions. Uh, Actually, we're going to go the shorter end. We're going to go about five weeks. A lot of the questions were similar, and so we grouped those together. So we are right now building a series based upon the questions that you have asked. So what I encourage you to do is invite your friends, invite your family to come to Easter and to come to that series after that. Again, on your seat, there's another card. So there's a card that says our Easter services, and then on the back side, it talks about that series that's going to happen after Easter. So here's the thing. Many of our friends, they've got the same questions about God and faith that we have, so invite them to come to an Easter service, and then invite them to come to the series after that so they can hear some real answers from a biblical perspective. And we've got a number of these cards out on the seat, so grab as many as you need. We should have some more at the Connection Center, and we'll be handing them out each week on our way up to Easter. All right, so I think that's all the other announcements I have for you now On to today's message. So the first statement that we're going to look at from Jesus is found in Luke 23, so it's after being nailed to the cross, Jesus said this profound statement in verse 34. He said, Father, forgive them, for they don't know what they're doing. Now, for us to understand what that really means, we've got to go back in time just a little bit uh, before this was actually stated by Jesus. So Jesus said this on Friday, and we've got to go back to Thursday to begin to get a little context of what's going on when Jesus actually made this statement. So not 24 hours prior to this statement, Jesus is preparing for the Passover meal, So on that Thursday, he gathers his disciples together in an upper room. They celebrate what is known as the Passover meal. He institutes what we know as communion, the Lord's Supper, Holy Eucharist, depending on your background. So he institutes that that thing that we're going to celebrate on Easter, the thing that we celebrate periodically here, and maybe you celebrate on a more regular basis, depending on your church context. Um, But he starts that. Jesus actually takes some bread and he breaks that. He blesses it, and he tells his disciples, this bread represents my body, which is about to be broken for you. And his disciples are looking around going like, what's he talking about? Like, we don't get it. And then Jesus pours a glass of wine. And he says, this wine represents my blood, which is about to be poured out for you. And they're going like, we don't get it. They're whispering to each other, like, I, we don't understand what this really means. And think about it in that context, not 24 hours later, less than that, they would watch Jesus fulfill that statement. They would watch Jesus die on the cross. So just before this meal, Jesus takes a towel, he wraps it around himself, and he gets down on his hands and his knees, and he washes his disciples' feet to model for them the kind of servants that he asked them to be. And, so, and multiple times in his interactions with his disciples, he says, like, listen, like most of the world, when they have a, po- a position of power and leadership, they want to lord it over everybody else. But for you, it's not going to be that way. It's going to be different. So here's what I want you to do. I want you to get down. I want you to serve. I want you to wash people's feet. I want you to be like the lowliest servant. And then Jesus went and he modeled for that, that for them, He went to the cross and modeled that. So after dinner, Judas was already released, Judas Iscariot, to go and betray Jesus. And Jesus went out to what is known as the Garden of Gethsemane to pray. Now, it should be a picture coming up here of the Garden of Gethsemane. We had a team in Israel in January, and we had the privilege of being there in that location And it was just amazing to walk in the footsteps of Jesus, to be in the place where Jesus could have been. Um, And so this is kind of that environment. So Jesus went out to the Garden of Gethsemane and he prayed. The Bible says he was in such anguish and such agony in the garden that it describes uh, sweat falling off of him like large drops of blood. So Jesus was praying in such agony. He understood what was about to happen. He understood that he was about to take the sin of the world on his shoulders as if he had committed all of those sins. He was about to pay the price for all of us, a price that we couldn't pay, only he could. And so in agony, he's praying and sweating and bleeding and having this deep conversation with God the Father. And then while he's in the garden, Judas shows up with some Jewish guards, and Judas betrays Jesus with a kiss. And then Jesus is arrested, and all of his disciples, the ones who said, we will be with you to the end, we'll go to the cross with you, they left. They ran away, and Jesus was alone. And then on Friday... Jesus was found guilty of blasphemy against God, and he was crucified. So I can't think of a bleaker moment in humanity, in our history, than the moment where the creation killed our creator. And I I want us to look for a moment at how bad Friday was for Jesus and how bad Friday was for us as humanity. And I think, again, it puts this statement that Jesus makes into a different perspective. So on Friday morning, Jesus went through six different trials. He went through three different trials by the religious leaders, and they were called the Sanhedrin. The Sanhedrin. All of those trials were illegal. They're illegal by Jewish law. Uh, but the, the Sanhedrin, they didn't care. Jesus was a threat to them and their way of life. People were following him, and they, they'd stopped following them. And so what they wanted was Jesus dead. They wanted Jesus out of the way. He was a threat. They were jealous. And so because they didn't have the ability to kill anyone, they couldn't carry out the death sentence because they were under Roman oppression. They had to go to the Romans to get approval for that. And so they went to the Roman governor Pilate, And they had to get Pilate to give them permission. So when they brought Jesus to Pilate, they changed the charges against him. So uh, he had originally been found guilty of blasphemy against God. But when they're going to Pilate, they're going, this isn't going to work. Pilate isn't going to care about that. So they changed uh, the charges against him to inciting riots. Now, that would have been a big deal. Because for Pilate, his job was kind of on the line, like Caesar from Rome was looking at Pilate going like, hey, if you don't straighten up over there, you're out of there. And so his job was on the line, the area was always under unrest. Jesus was also accused of forbidding people to pay their taxes. Another thing the Romans would have said, hey, that's not okay, you can't tell people they can't pay their taxes. And then they claimed that he claimed to be the king of the Jews, which would have been a threat to the Caesar in Rome. So they're hoping, like, okay, we hope this strategy works. We hope that, that Pilate goes, oh, well, yeah, he should die because of all those things. But it didn't work. So Pilate met with Jesus. said so he hasn't done anything wrong. And then he finds out that Jesus is from an area known as, as Galilee, which is north of Judea, north of Jerusalem. And so he says, oh, you're a Galilean? So then you need to go see Herod Antipas. He was the ruler of that area. So Pilate sends Jesus to go see Herod. Herod meets with him and says, he hasn't done anything wrong. Sends him back to Pilate. And Pilate's like, what do I do with this guy? Like, I found him innocent. But these Jews keep demanding that he be crucified, so what do I do? So he comes up with this idea. He says, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to have him whipped. The Bible actually calls it flogged. So I'm going to have him flogged. And what Pilate was hoping would happen is that after Jesus was flogged, then he would show him to the people, and the people would say, oh, like... Ooh, that's enough. Like he suffered enough. That's okay. Just let him go. It'll all be all right. So Pilate decides to have him flogged, gives, him the, gives the order for that to happen. Now, what I'm about to describe is part of the gory stuff that, that Tim was talking about. Um, so I think it's super important for us to understand what Jesus went through. I think it's very important for us to understand that because I think it, it, it helps uh, the gift of salvation become even more precious. To us. So for flogging, a victim's clothes would be taken off. Okay, So I want you to, to think of yourself in this context. Okay, So you are found guilty of something and you're about to be flogged. Okay, Your clothes are taken off. You're tied to an upright post, exposing your backside. And for the Romans, uh, often their tool of choice, uh, what the Bible describes for Jesus, uh, was a whip that had lead tips, all right? So a Roman whip that they would use had a a wooden handle. It had leather straps all throughout it. And these different lengths of straps had iron balls tied to them. And then they had sharp sheep bones, usually from the pelvic region of the sheep, that that were sharp and they were tied in at different intervals. And so when the whipping would occur, the metal balls would punch deeply into the flesh and cause deep contusions, deep bruising, kind of like tenderizing almost. And then the the sharp bones would dig deeply, the lead tip would dig deep into the flesh and it would rip and produce quivering ribbons of flesh, of bleeding flesh. Now, under Jewish law, uh, someone couldn't be whipped more than 40 times. So usually what they did was they said, Well, we don't want to overstep that, so we'll go 49 minus or 40 minus 1, so that's 39. But Jesus wasn't whipped by the Jews. He was whipped by the Romans. And so as Jesus was whipped regularly, flesh would be ripped out of his back, and again, producing just this torn, bleeding flesh. And when the Roman officer over that flogging at that moment determined that the victim, Jesus in this moment, was near death, they would order for it to be stopped. They didn't want the victim to die there. Many victims did die uh, through flogging. They wanted the victim to die on the cross. And Romans had perfected the art of torture and the art of crucifixion. And so they're trying to figure out, like, like when is he going to die? When is he not going to die? Is he still got enough life left into him so we can kill him on the cross? And so they ordered for that to die. Now, again, we're not sure how many times Jesus was flogged, but apparently it was unusually harsh because Isaiah 52 describes that Jesus was unrecognizable as a human being. Has anybody seen The Passion of the Christ? Anybody seen that movie? Um, great movie. Uh, I, I definitely recommend that, uh, especially coming up to Easter. Um, but as you watch that movie, that movie still falls short of what I think really happened to Jesus. So like, th- think about somebody that you know and love, you know deeply, maybe a spouse, family member, a best friend or something, and, and like you know them, you know what they look like. And imagine them being beaten so badly, you can't even recognize them. Like, you don't even know that that's the person that you love. Like, I don't know who that is. And then imagine seeing someone like you're not even sure that that's a human being. I mean, they're, they're just this, this ball of bleeding flesh, and that's all you see. I don't know that we can fully comprehend all that, that Jesus went through just in the flogging part. Of what he endured. So after Jesus was flogged, Pilate presented him to the Jews, but they kept demanding his crucifixion. And so Pilate says, "Like you got to be kidding me." He gets a, a basin of water, washes his hand, and says, "Listen, I'm innocent of this man's blood. He's innocent, and so am I. I'm washing my hands of him. His this this sin, his death, his blood is on you." And the Jews in that context said, "We'll take it." It'll be on us. It'll be on our children. And he gave orders for Jesus to be crucified. Mark chapter 15 says The soldiers took Jesus into the courtyard of the governor's headquarters and called out the entire regiment. They called out all the officers there. They dressed him in a purple robe. They wove thorn branches into a crown and put it on his head. Then they saluted him and taunted him by saying, Hail, King of the Jews! They struck him on the head with a reed stick, spit on him, and dropped to their knees in mock worship. When they were finally tired of mocking him, they took off the purple robe and put his own clothes on him again. And they led him away to be crucified. Now, I want you to think for a moment about the crown of thorns that was placed on Jesus' head. I, I just can't imagine, I don't know that we can imagine the pain that Jesus would have endured in that moment and the bloodshed that would have been caused in that moment. Uh, When we were in Israel, we got a chance to see a tree that the, uh, the thorns could have come from. And I gotta tell you, those thorns are no joke. I tried to break a couple of them off and I jabbed my finger several times and I'm going like, ouch, I cannot imagine this thorn that long being wrapped around somebody's head, and then not just placed there, but driven into the scalp. I can't imagine the pain that that person would endure. I can't imagine the pain that Jesus would have endured in that moment. Now, think for a moment about the purple robe that was placed on him. Okay, so... Um, those moments where you have an open wound, kind of a fresh wound, and and you put a bandage on it, and then somebody, uh, you or somebody else, uh, carelessly removes that bandage and kind of reopens the wound, that could have been the experience that Jesus had. So this purple robe placed on his back, and then that purple robe ripped off his back, and then his clothes put back on. And then what was put on his shoulders was the crossbeam of the cross, So he was forced to carry this cross, this cross beam, down the Via Dolorosa up to a place called the Place of the Skull, also known as Calvary. All right, so he carries this cross as far as he can go. And when he can't carry it anymore, they call a guy out of the the crowd, Simon of Cyrene, to carry the cross up to Calvary for him. When Jesus gets there, they take large metal spikes and they drive them through his hands and his feet. Most likely, they drove those large metal spikes through Jesus' wrists instead of his hands. The hands really couldn't hold body weight on the cross and probably rip out. So there, there's a good indication that they drove them through his wrist. That was considered the part of the hand. So what I want you to do is take one of your fingers, and I'd like you to place it on the other uh, hand that you have, on, on the wrist, on that, that spot right there, um, like where your watch would be. And I'd like you to press firmly, like, press as hard as you can in that, in that little spot between the bones there. Okay, think about how painful it would be when that spike drives through the nerves and drives through the veins that are there when you are being nailed to the cross. I think excruciating pain. So after being unjustly accused, after being beaten unrecognizably, after being tortured beyond belief, what we, what we can barely even begin to comprehend, after being mocked and spit on, Jesus has the gall to pray to his father to forgive them because they don't know what they're doing. Now I have to ask myself and I have to ask you, what would you do in that situation? Okay, so You're being accused of things you didn't do. People are spitting on you. People are making fun of you. You've been tortured. and You've just been nailed to the cross. What's your prayer? My prayer would be, God, send lightning from heaven and kill everybody. (laughs) Kill them all. Even if they're related to the person who, who did that. Like, kill everybody. And I certainly wouldn't be saying, I don't think they know what they're doing. Because I'd look around and I'd see the Jews who are accusing me of, of uh, unjustly and falsely. I'd say, I think they know what they're doing. They're jealous, they're insecure. I'd look at the Romans who have learned the art of death. I'd say, I think they know what they're doing. So, why in the world would Jesus pray to the Father, forgive them, but they don't know what they're doing? I think in that prayer, Jesus reveals our greatest need as humans. Jesus revealed my greatest need. Jesus reveals your greatest need. And that greatest need is this thing called forgiveness. We are in desperate need of forgiveness, to be forgiven of the things that we've done wrong, the big things that we've done to hurt our relationship with God, the little things that we've done to hurt our relationship with God. And that's the reason that Jesus came to planet earth. That's the reason that Jesus died on the cross. That's the reason that Jesus went through everything that he went through so that he could forgive us. Hebrews 9.22, it's not going to come up on the screen. It says this, Without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sin. Jesus knew that. He knew if he didn't die for us, if he didn't shed his blood, if he didn't pour out his blood for us, we couldn't be forgiven. And the Bible also says, For the joy that awaited him, he endured the cross. What's that joy? Watching us be reunited with God, May, watching it, it possible, watching it be possible, for us to be reconnected with the creator of the universe. That's the joy that waited for him, and so he endured the cross for us. Now if you're like me, you might hear that and start arguing mentally. And you might say something like this, but, but wait a minute. Like I haven't done anything as bad as as those Jews or those Romans in that context. I mean I wasn't jealous of Jesus. I didn't get him falsely accused. I mean I wasn't nailing him to the cross. I mean, my sins, if you can even call them that, they're so minor compared to that. That doesn't matter. Sin is sin. Whether it's a big sin, like nailing someone to the cross. Or a small sin, like in our eyes, we look at eating forbidden fruit, like that's just a small sin. It's just forbidden fruit. It's not that big a deal. It's just a bite. No big deal. None of that matters because sin is sin. It separates us from the God who loves us and it requires that we be forgiven. And it requires that blood be shed for that forgiveness. And the amazing thing about Jesus is that he offers forgiveness to us from the cross, it's from the cross that he looks out and he says, I, I forgive them. Like, Father, forgive them. Forgive them for the things that they did that they knew were, that were wrong. Forgive them for the things that they, they didn't realize it was wrong. Forgive them for every sin they've ever committed. And so from the cross, Jesus looks back to the Garden of Eden and he sees Adam and Eve eating that forbidden fruit. And then he looks to the future. He looks to today, the sin that I'll commit this afternoon or the the sin that you'll commit tomorrow or the sin that we'll commit 10 years from now or 20 years from now. And he says in both directions, Father, forgive them because they don't know what they're doing. Now, watch what God does in Ephesians when he takes forgiveness and he turns it around on us. Ephesians chapter four, verse 32 says this. Forgive one another just as God through Christ has forgiven you. Now, here's where our message gets personal. Here's where it gets difficult. Here's where it gets challenging. You remember that person who hurt you last year, or last month, or last week, or last night? God wants you to forgive that person. You remember that person that hurt you so deeply, you felt like, I can never trust another human being again. God wants you to forgive that person. You remember that family member who you haven't spoken to in years because of that thing that happened? Yeah, God wants you to forgive them of that. And you might, again, be mentally disagreeing, mentally arguing with me at this moment, saying, but you know what? They don't deserve my forgiveness. You're right, they don't. Neither did the Jews, neither did the Romans, and neither do we. We don't deserve the forgiveness that God gives us. And you might take that a step further and say, you know what, the reason they don't deserve my forgiveness is because they don't realize they need it. They're not repentant. They're not coming and saying, I'm so sorry. Like, will you forgive me for that? That's why they don't deserve my forgiveness. And neither did the Jews deserve that in that moment. Neither did the Romans deserve that. And neither do we understand our eternal need for forgiveness. Neither are we in the spot of saying, hey, God, would you forgive us? Romans 5.8 says this, God showed his great love for us by sending Christ to die for us while we were still sinners. It doesn't say that, that God sent Jesus to die when we were repenting, when we were saying, oh, we're so sorry, please forgive us. No, that moment that we were shaking our little fist at God, that moment that we were eating our own little forbidden fruit, that moment in essence that we were nailing Jesus to the cross ourselves because of our sin, Jesus says, Father, Forgive them, because they don't know what they're doing. And listen to how important forgiveness is to God. In Matthew chapter 6, Jesus says this. He says, If you forgive those who sin against you, your heavenly Father will forgive you. But if you refuse to forgive, if you refuse to forgive others, your Father will not forgive your sins. So, The forgiveness that we receive, the forgiveness that I receive, the forgiveness that you receive from God hinges upon the forgiveness that you give. And God doesn't say, hey, forgive because they they deserve it. Forgive because they know they need it. God says, forgive because you have been forgiven. It's a gift that's been given to you in a moment that you didn't deserve it, in a moment that you didn't realize that you needed it. So just forgive the way that you have been forgiven. Now, here's what God is not saying. God isn't saying a couple of things here that I think we need to understand. He's not saying that we need to trust that person again. He's not saying that we need to get back into a relationship with that person again. He's not saying that necessarily There are some pains, there are some hurts that that mean, you know what, that person is not trustworthy. That person is not worthy of being in a relationship with in this moment of time. And Jesus understood that. John chapter two captures a story where Jesus um, didn't entrust himself to a group of people. He was performing some miracles. They were super excited about the miracles. They were more excited about that than anything, about what they could get from Jesus. And Jesus says, like, I'm not entrusting myself to them because I know their human nature. Jesus knew they couldn't be trusted, and so he moved on from them. So I think God understands that for us. God understands that not everybody around us can be trusted, and and we shouldn't put ourselves back in a spot where we can be hurt by that person again necessarily. Again, there's different degrees of of hurt, different degrees of pain. There's some small pains that, like, yeah, we need to forgive and move on, stay in that relationship. There are other pains, there are other hurts that are deep. And it doesn't mean you have to trust that person. Trust and forgiveness are two separate things, two totally different things. You can forgive someone and still not trust them. It's very possible. So God's not saying we have to trust people. God's not saying we have to get back in a relationship with them. God's not saying what they did was okay to do. God's not saying any of those things. So for you and for me, who might you need to forgive? Who might you need? need to forgive? Maybe your husband, maybe your wife, maybe an ex, maybe a parent, maybe a child, maybe a teacher, a boss, a co-worker, a peer at school, a stranger you've never met. Yourself, who might you need to forgive? So only God can bring freedom from pain like that, and the, the path towards freedom that God has chosen in a situation like that, in all of our painful situations, is the path of forgiveness. And often when we get to a, a spot where we realize our need for that, or we hear a story like this, and we think, man, I, I'd like to do that, but I just don't know how, we ask that question like, how? How do we do that? How do we walk through some practical steps of forgiveness? and so in the time that we have remaining, I'd like to walk through a few practical things that I think can help us with forgiveness. And I understand that what I'm about to say is oversimplified. Some of you will hear it and go, that's just too simple. My pain is, is way bigger than that. Like, I get that. I understand. But I do think that the path towards freedom, the path towards forgiveness, forgiveness the path towards healing is the same path, no, no matter whether it was a big hurt or a small hurt that someone caused us. So the first thing I think we need to do, and you heard that in that video, is I think we need to decide to forgive and then pick a day day to do that. Decide to forgive. Forgiveness is a decision. It's not a feeling that we wait on. And so often we wait on this feeling to come along. I'll forgive when I feel like it. I'll forgive when I feel like I'm in a better spot. I'll forgive when when either I can get revenge or or, or have gotten revenge. Maybe I'll I'll do it after that point. Or I'll forgive when I feel like they've paid enough, like they've sat in a prison long enough. I've I've treated them as badly as I can for long enough. But true forgiveness from God's perspective is a decision that we make. And so I encourage you to pick a day for that. Pick a day that you're going to make that decision and you're gonna give that forgiveness. It could be today could be tomorrow, it could be a week from now, a year from now, 10 years from now. I don't recommend the year from now or 10 years from now. But from our context, when we're in that spot of, of pain, often we feel like we are the ones stuck in this prison and God comes along and says, you have the key. I'm giving you the key. Jesus actually gave us the key and he showed us how to do that. And it's to unlock this door, this prison that we're in through this thing called forgiveness. So you actually decide how long you'll be in this spot that you're in if you are unforgiving or if you're holding bitterness. You'll decide the day that you open the door and you can walk free. So let's pick a day. Decide that you're gonna do that. Next, I encourage you to pick the best method for you, given your situation, the best method of forgiveness. So what's the best method of forgiveness for you? Is that face-to-face in person? Is that on the phone? Is that writing them a letter? Now, what I recommend is face-to-face, and I think the Bible backs that up for us. When when we're in a conflict resolution situation, we need to talk to people that we need to resolve conflict with face-to-face. We need to talk to them. We need to sit and look into their eyes and say, you hurt me and this is how you hurt me and this is the forgiveness that I'm, I'm walking through. This is a forgiveness that I'm giving. So I, I definitely recommend face-to-face but face-to-face is not always possible and it's not always appropriate. Like maybe you've been abused. Like maybe something happened to you like happened in this video. Maybe it's just not, not appropriate for you to see that person face-to-face or maybe the person who hurt you has died. And, and it's just not possible for you to see them face to face. So in those moments, we still can walk through the process of forgiveness. And to do that, what I recommend in those moments is the old fashioned way of writing a letter with paper and pen, not a Facebook message, not a tweet, not an Instagram picture, you holding up a sign that says, I forgive you. No, an old fashioned practice of getting a notepad nope out and a pen and writing out a letter of forgiveness. Write out what happened. Write out the pain. Write out the process of forgiveness and what you are offering. Next thing I encourage is when you're talking to someone or you're writing out a letter, you're talking to someone on the phone, use these four words. I forgive you for, and then fill in the blank. What do you forgive that person for? Label it, label it what it is. I forgive you for abusing me. I forgive you for lying to me. I forgive you for stealing from me. I forgive you for cheating me. I forgive you for whatever. Label it what it is. I think that's super important in the context of of us understanding our sin. So when we come to, to God, God helps us understand our sin. We need to understand how we hurt other people and the sin that it caused. So I think we need to label it. I need to label it what it is. Now, um, in that, that process as well, sometimes when we do that, when we say that, when we, we go through that, we speak those words, we write that letter, that's all we need, and we're done, and we're free. And we can walk free from that, that moment towards this healing that God promises. And sometimes that's all it takes, but other times that just begins the process of forgiveness. And it's a baby step in a direction, And we have to forgive again and again and again and again because it's this process that takes time. And every day we wake up and we don't wanna forgive. Every day we wanna pull the door shut and live in our prison is the day we have to again say, you know what, I I forgive again and again and again. I'm not gonna hold this the rest of my life. So decide to forgive, pick a day, pick a method, your best method in, in your situation, tell that person you forgive them. And lastly, leave the results to God. Now, this is gonna be surprising, but not everybody is gonna hear you forgive them and go, oh, thank you so much, I am so grateful, I've been so burdened that you wouldn't forgive me. Not everybody is gonna do that, and some people will not care. They'll look at you and say, "Like I could care less I don't even need your forgiveness. Why would you waste time with that? Okay, now remember what Jesus did on the cross. Did those Jews, did those Romans understand they need forgiveness? Did they come and say, oh, we're so grateful? No, they didn't. So someone's response does not keep us from the need to forgive. We are responsible for forgiving people. We're not responsible for how they respond to our forgiveness. So we've got to leave the results to God. It's up to, to him to, to work that out with them. It's up to, to him to work that out in their heart and what's going on in their lives. We are done at that point once we forgive and we move forward. Now, I understand, again, that's it's kind of a, a simple uh, summary of the process of forgiveness, but I really think those are the primary steps that we need to take. And, and your pain may be bigger, your may, pain may be deep, and you may have all kinds of other questions that you're asking about forgiveness. So for those of you who may be in that spot wrestling with some deep issue, um, I've got some resources on our Connection Center at our Spiritual Growth Challenge. You can stop by, pick that up. It's a one-page document that's got some book recommendations there, some Bible verses that you can read, some, some things that you can help you process through. How do I walk through this process of forgiveness? when you get to the spot that you realize, like, I don't want to carry this around any longer. And know this, forgiveness is one of the primary hallmarks of what it means to be a Christ follower. So if you want to be like Jesus, if you want to grow deeply in your relationship with God, we've got to learn how to forgive. So let's pray together. Jesus, we look at you on the cross, making this statement, and uh, I know I do. I'm like baffled. Like, how in the world could you pray a prayer like that, and in that kind of moment, in that kind of context, and ask God the Father to forgive, because we don't know what we're doing, and Lord, really, none of us do. None of us really understand. I mean, those Jews and those Romans, they didn't understand within a few short years, they were gonna stare into the eyes of a holy Jesus and give an account for their own lives when they died. And we don't understand. The people who hurt us, they don't understand. When we hurt other people, we don't understand the eternal perspective of our pain, the stuff that we caused. And so God, you're asking us to forgive just like you've forgiven us. And Lord, that is so incredibly difficult. It's difficult for you. It's difficult for us. And so we need your help to do this. Lord, Holy Spirit, we need you to empower us. We need you to strengthen us. We need you to remind us of truth. We need you to speak that truth to us. And Lord, we need to decide. We need to decide. We need to pick a day. We're gonna do that. And we need to courageously step forward, unlocking the door that many of us are imprisoned in. And we need to forgive the way that we've been forgiven. So Lord, I pray that you would teach us how to do that. Teach us how to be forgiving people. In Jesus' powerful name we pray this. Amen.
1: Well, you can go ahead and be seated. Well, good morning and welcome to Epic. My name is Tim Jones, and I'm one of the pastors on staff, and we are so glad that you are here with us today. If you are a guest with us, thank you so much for joining us, and if you have any questions about who we are, we would love for you to stop by our Connection Center and be able to meet you and answer any questions that you might have. Well, before I continue on in the announcements, uh, this series that we are entering in is pretty serious Uh, leading up to Easter. We are checking out uh, Jesus' last words, and today we've got some content that uh, is pretty sensitive, especially for little ears. And so if you have a child with you today, uh, we highly recommend that you check them into Epic Kids from birth through fifth grade. It is a fantastic area. And so during the announcements, feel free to get up with your child, and we've got some people in the back, Angie and... John, who are waving back there in the corner, that will help you to find in the check-in area for Epic Kids. So uh, we've also got about a minute and a half video prior to the message, but during the announcements, please feel free to check in your kids as this is going to be a sensitive message today. Well, continuing on with the messages or the announcements, uh, just a few things to celebrate. So last night, uh, we had an amazing time here with the Epic Kids Drive-In Movie Theater. So there were about 130 of you that came out uh, together to be able to create cars. There was a car building contest. There was tons of candy and popcorn. I think you ate every bit of candy and popcorn last night, and so that was an amazing time. And then uh, there was an uh, awesome cars that won. There were several different contests as you were coming in. There was a car right out there uh, here in front of the Connection Center that won one of the contests for the cars and everything. So it was an amazing time. Um, Let's give it up. There were 30 volunteers that helped set up this place. Yep. And Abel set up for today as well. So they did an amazing job of putting on that event and then all the teams that helped put up the church for an event like that. So thank you so much. And then all of you did an amazing job during the month of February. So we had a food drive where we partnered with Grace Community Food Pantry and you guys brought in 2,742 pounds of food. So let's just, yeah, celebrate that. So, so that's like almost a ton and a half of food. And that food is going to go directly to uh, kids who are homeless and families that are homeless. Uh, We're going to fill 190 backpacks of food uh, for those kids who are homeless right here in our county. And so that's where that food is going to go. So thank you so much for investing in our community. Now, today uh, we are in week three of our five-week group experience. So if you haven't made it out, it's not too late. Um, This five-week group experience is, if you're interested in joining a men's or women's or a couple's community group. And so come on out at four o'clock this afternoon at Palm Coast Community Church. If you need directions, just see me in the back next to the tech table um, as I'll be able to give you some directions for you to be able to get out to that. And then uh, starting March 16th, that's a Wednesday for six weeks, we are having a brand new six-week Business group experience. And so, if you are a business owner or if you are self employed or if you are looking to start a business or just really in business, um, we are starting this small group experience where they're going to be going through Dave Ramsey's book Entree Leadership. And it's a great tool that will help you step by step from taking where your business is from and taking it where you want it to go. And so, if you're interested in that, sign up with me in the back at the back table or register online at the Epic Church. Com. Now, next week, some of you, this might excite you, but it is daylight savings time, all right? Some of you were excited. I'm not excited about that. I do not like going an hour forward. I like the sunlight, but not going an hour forward. But that is next week. So if uh, next week, please set your uh, clocks. Um, if you are late, well, next week you'll be early for the second service at least. So um, but go ahead and set your clocks ahead next week as that will be happening as well. Well, uh, one last thing we just want to thank you. Thank you guys so much for what you do throughout how you serve. I mean, what an amazing job of what you guys do with the food drives. And then we also have 3G Saturday coming up here in April and everything. And you guys just do an amazing job of showing our community that we are for them. And then a lot of you contribute financially as well to Epic and continue to make this a great place and what we can do in the community together. So if you would like to partner with us and give financially, there's two ways that you can do that. You can give through the giving boxes located at the end of each section or securely online at the EpicChurch.com. It's got a nice automated system that you can set up. I use it. It's awesome and easy. And so just uh, wanted to let you know about those things. Um, But today, we just want you to sit back, enjoy the rest of the service as we start our brand new series, Last Words.